This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. We've come out of a sermon series on the churches of Revelation and recognizing some of the challenges that the church in the West faces. And we're asking ourselves the question, what is the way? What is the way that we can find life and meaning and significance in the world today? How do we live as God's people in the world, in light of the world that is as it is, with all of the challenges, all of the difficulties, all of the tension, the disagreement, the division, the depression, all those things that we face in different ways? How do we, as people of God, live in the way of Jesus? And so that's why we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' constitution of the kingdom. This is his most famous sermon that that not only reveals to us our desperate need for Jesus to be able to accomplish this message. We see when we read through the sermon, we realize, wow, we're not really living up to this. And that's all the more reason for us to love and cherish Jesus because he has made it possible for us to live this life. But then it also offers guidance to us about how do we live in the world. This world that we see in decay, in a state of disintegration, how do we reintegrate it? How do we live with faith and with confidence, with hope? How do we restore those places that are broken and that are ruined? How do we do that? We follow into the way of Jesus. Even though there are many voices in the world that would say, well, this is what you ought to do and let your conscience be your guide and follow your dreams or whatever the statement is that, that is meaningful to you, Jesus is offering us words to guide us and in, in into his very presence, but also in order to live. And Jesus also in this section of the Sermon on the Mount has been saying, you know, you've heard that it was said. And what he's getting at there is that there are words that people say. This happens in our culture today, but the Pharisees were were saying something that God had said, but putting their own little twist on it, making it unfaithful. But Jesus says, I say then to you. So this is the challenge for us, is to hear all these voices that are coming to us from all these different places, different news channels, different media outlets, uh, different people that we're in relationship with. How do we hear these messages and focus on the way of Jesus. One of the ways is by being here, listening to the word of God shared. It's also studying your Bible and being around other people that want to talk about faith and connecting with them so that you're equipped when you go into the world, wherever you work, wherever you live, in your neighborhood, to be able to talk about who God is in a meaningful way. Because the transformation that's going to take place in our culture is not going to happen through education, it's not going to happen through politics, it's going to happen, in my view, when followers of Jesus begin to take hold of their faith and to go out into the world and love the world, not by convincing them that they're wrong, but by loving people and serving them in the name of Jesus. And here's the thing, he's equipped you, every single one of you, in unique positions to be able to minister and to care and to love. And so I'm just encouraging, I'm hopeful that you'll be listening to what God's saying to you so that you can respond in obedience because we don't want to be just hearers of the word we want to be doers also so let's turn to the scriptures and reflect on them for a little while matthew chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 if you're able please stand with me for the reading of god's word beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, 
as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Lord, thank you so much for your word that challenges, that reminds, that comforts, that breaks through. Help us to hear what you're saying so that we can walk out of this place encouraged, challenged, but also equipped and prepared to be the kind of people that you have us to be, the people that you've made us to be so that we can bless the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in my Sunday school class this morning, I was talking with the students and we were looking at the, the story where the tax collector uh, and the Pharisee go to the temple to pray and the comparison between those two because the tax collector is proud, excuse me, the, the Pharisee is proud and the tax collector is, is uh, humbled and we talk, Jesus is talking about the humble will be exalted and the exalted will be humbled. And I asked the students, I said, you know, have you ever had a coach say to you, you're going through the motions. And they, most of them said yes. So what's that? When a coach says to a player at practice, you're just going through the motions, what do they mean? Well, they mean that you're technically doing the drill. You're making the actions to practice to get better at the, the activity, whether it's shooting or scoring or even if you're playing a musical instrument. But there's no passion there. Your heart really isn't in it. I can see that you're doing the thing, but you're really not giving it your all. You're not doing it as though it matters. And, and we know in any, any, it's an academic endeavor, athletic or a musical endeavor, if you're not working at it, if you're not putting something toward it, you're just going through the motions, you're not really going to get better at it. You're just kind of trying to fake everybody out. Now, a, a coach is going to notice though, right? A piano teacher is going to notice. You're just going through the motions. But someone else from the outside may not really be able to tell that you're going through the motion. So you can fool the people in the public, but somebody who really knows is not tricked. And I think that's how it is with God, right? When, when God sees our uh, worship life or our study life or our uh, service life, he can tell when we're just going through the motions. When our hearts really aren't in it, we're just showing up to show up because we've got to do that. And look, let me tell you, sometimes you got to just get in the building. I get it. And that's better than not coming in. Sometimes you don't feel it, and that's okay. It's not about our feelings all the time. It's about the truth of what God's Word says. But there are times when we recognize that God needs to shake us up a little bit. He needs to, he needs to encourage us and to challenge us so that we're not just going through the motions. We're not just doing something so that other people can observe us doing something. But we're doing something because it really is close to the heart of God. That God really cares about this and he wants his people to know him so closely that what he cares about, they care about. Not only to serve the people who are in need, but because it's good for those who love God. One of the things that stuck out to me most when Jim Schultz was here, when he shared from uh, Christ Community Health Services, is he said, if you're in a spiritual state of slumber, just paraphrase, serve the poor. 
Serve the people who are in need. That gets you to the place where God is working. And I think that's what Jesus is saying to the people who are listening to the Sermon on the Mount and the people who are listening to this message. Get to the place where God is working. And sometimes that requires a geographical shift. It's finding yourself, putting yourself into the place where God is at work so that you can get close to the heart of God and that you can also bless the people that God wants to be blessed. Uh, this word that, that uh, Jesus talks about where he says uh, it's called almsgiving. It comes from a Greek term that means to, to give to the poor, to give to those in need. I prefer to say those in need than to say needy. Maybe it means the same thing, but a needy person is different than a person in need, right? I'd rather be a person in need because I'm a person in need. I don't want to be defined as a needy person. Maybe it's true, but God loves the person in need, right? Psalm 41, I'm going to read to you a bunch of verses here to, because I want to emphasize that this is something that's close to the heart of God. Serving the poor is something that's very, very important to the heart of God. He says, blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. Right? If you want to be delivered in the day of trouble, if you want to uh, be blessed, then you need to, what? Consider the poor. Proverbs 14, blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Proverbs uh, 14, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Proverbs 19, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 31, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Isaiah 58, is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? In that passage, God is challenging the people who say, hey, look, you come and do these religious things, but do you care about what I care about? The poor. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. We know that Jesus, when he began his ministry, he used this very text. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. 1 John 3, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him. How can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. Jonathan Edwards said, from this account, the doctrine is obvious that it is the absolute and indispensable duty of the people of God to give bountifully and willingly for supplying the wants of the needy. The only way I would correct Jonathan Edwards is I would just say, hey man, call those in need. When you care for those in need, you get close to the heart of God. There's another passage from Deuteronomy. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your brother. Man, I know that can happen. When I see someone who by their own foolish decisions or their own uh, things that they've done, I, I, my, my heart can harden. Oh, you know, that's just what you get. 
don't harden your heart against your brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficiently for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and say, the seventh year, the year of release is near. He's looking forward to this Sabbath. Oh, that's going to happen then. They'll be fine then. And look your eye grudgingly on your poor brother and give him nothing. And he cry to the Lord against you and you be guilty of sin. The one guilty of sin is the one who is not releasing their resources. Verse 10, you shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and all that you undertake. If you want to be blessed in your life, if you want everything that you do to be successful, give generously. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to those in need and to the poor in your land. So we can see, obviously, from the scriptures that God is calling his people to care for the poor, not to harden our heart, but to open our hand. Notice there is giving and there's lending, right? The appropriate kind of actions, depending on the situation. We're not to begrudge this help, but we're rather to give freely. In doing so, God will bless our work. Doesn't that sound something like that we want? I want God to bless my work. I want my life to flourish. I want it to have success. One of the ways to do that is to give freely to the poor. Now, we know that, that, especially in these times, many in our community, many in our own city are facing great difficulty. There's a lot of challenge. Just in studying on the, the poverty rates of children or in cities, that, that in, depending on the size of the city in the metropolitan area, Memphis is second only to New Orleans with most children living in poverty in the country among cities in the same size. That's not the list that you want to be, uh, get a good score on. We recognize that for many of us, even though there's been economic challenge and pandemic and difficulty, many of us have done well. Some people have done better over the last year. But many people have not. Many people have not. Um, I was talking with a person who, as a result of hearing Jim Schultz's message on caring, decided to go and serve at Colonial uh, Methodist, the food distribution they do on Thursday. And I, I told this person, I won't tell your name so that way you don't you, you keep getting credit for doing this good thing anonymously because if this person said it well then they'd be doing it for the show right and they're not but you know on uh thursdays colonial methodist has food distribution and so in our family when we come to school at woodland we go a different direction other than to come down park because of the traffic that's created the whole lane is blocked i don't know if you've ever seen on, on thursday morning but the line can go from colonial methodist on park and estate and go all the way down to the, the post office on Linfield to 240, all the way down. There's a line of cars. And uh, this person was there, and they asked the first person in line at 10 o'clock when they got their food, what time did you come and park so that you could be the first in line? Essentially, how long did you wait to get the food that we're going to give you in your car? And the answer was 2 o'clock in the morning. Hey, thank God that person has a car. How many people live in our city that have the same kind of need for food that don't have a vehicle? Two o'clock in the morning. That's a long time to wait. A long time. So there's a need in our community. And we have an opportunity 
to serve and to bless because that's where God's heart is. We would grow and be encouraged if we were there serving. So how can we care for those in need? Well, obviously, we don't want to do it like the hypocrites do because they're not really concerned about honoring God. They're really doing it for themselves. They're wanting the attention to say, hey, look, here's what I'm doing. And the religious leaders of that day would create great fanfare when they help someone, you know, hey, check me out. Um, but Jesus says, don't make a big deal out of your serving. Now, we want to tell people, hey, look, we want to invite you into this way of life. And so there is some level of communication that needs to take place. But we're not like trumpeting this. Uh, one of the things that we need to do when we begin thinking about how do we serve those who are in need is to understand what it is that people who are poor really need. Right, we've talked about this before, and this came from a book that I read called When Helping Hurts, but uh, we have a definition of poverty that usually means the common definition is people who make a certain amount of money. But this book, When Helping Hurts, uh, redefines that. It really was helpful for me. It says that poverty is brokenness in relationship with God, self, others, and creation. That expands our definition of poverty. Now, there are people who are materially poor, and they have less money. But sometimes if we think the solution to a person who's materially poor is to give them money, what we do is we try to help them, but we hurt them and we hurt us. Right? Because we have the sense of, well, if I just give them what they need, that makes me, I'm doing the right thing, so I feel good about myself. But what studies have, real, uh, have shown is that when a person who is wealthy or middle class says, what is poverty? They say, well, it's lack of money. A person who is poor, when you ask them what is poverty, they say it's shame, it's isolation, it's embarrassment. And so if someone comes and brings a lot of money to a person that needs the money, and the problem isn't money, but it's their psychological position because of where they are, and you give them something, then the, the shame is exacerbated. Right? It gets piled on because they realize, I can't fix this problem. I'm even more worthless than I think I already am. So when helping hurts helps us to understand how do we care for the poor in meaningful ways to give them dignity, to allow them to participate in their own restoration and partnership because here's the reality is that every one of us in this room experiences poverty too. Don't we all have brokenness and relationship with God, self, others, and creation? Every one of us has a disrupted relationship in our lives. Every one of us would say, oh, I'd like to get closer to God, but I'm really not as close to God as I would like. So we're all impoverished in that sense. And when we realize that, then we can come and engage with people who may be materially poor, but we can recognize our own brokenness, and we realize that often the poor have things that we don't. Often they have more community, the more connection, more relationship. This is one of the things that we really see when we go to Honduras. You know, the roads aren't that great. And the buildings aren't that great, but man, they love being together. They don't have calendars that are so far planned that they can't find time to spend time with one another. They look at us and say, why don't you come down a week earlier and just hang out? Because they love being together. And we have to make appointments for three months from now. Maybe on Wednesday, the 23rd of something, I could get together with you. But they've got community. And so we realize with that idea, that mindset, that there's something that we need that they can provide, and then that's how we're able to grow. I love this question in, that Jesus posits to a person in the Bible when this man is blind. Jesus says to him, what is it that I can do for you? Uh, he's blind. Jesus, come on, can't you see that? Fix the blindness. But no, Jesus wants to give the man dignity. 
to ask him, what is it that you need? Jesus has to be close enough and in relationship enough to be able to ask that question. And the challenge for us is to be close enough and in relationship enough to be able to say, how can we help you in a meaningful way? And that's how we do it, is to ask those questions and try to understand those things. So why do we do it? Why do we care for those who are in need? Well, it's a response to the grace of God that he's, been, he's given to us. You know, if we're, not, if we're doing for Jesus um, the right things but for the wrong reasons, like just for our own, um, our own puffing ourselves up or getting thank you from someone, then we're going to get frustrated, right? If we, if we serve people because we feel guilty, oh, Matt said serve people, so I got to serve somebody. I go ahead and do it, right? That's not a good motivation. It may get you out the door doing it one time, but it's not gonna build a life of service. And what we're trying to do in our lives is to be followers of Jesus, to look like Christ, to have a way of discipleship in what we do. That we're realizing that I can find life and hope in connection with God by serving others. And so I'm gonna build this into my life. I'm gonna make space for this in my life, right? But if I just serve the poor and I don't really want to, then I can, I can find myself becoming even embittered toward the poor. You know, I've got to do this, and you can't figure this out, and here I am serving you again. You know, I've got it figured out, right? I'm not in this situation. I don't need to have someone come and help me, right? We can have that feeling, right? Notice in Deuteronomy passage I read earlier, so much of it is around our hearts in serving the poor. Um, Sometimes we say, well, I'm going to only do this if it works. I'm going to help you this one time. And if you don't figure it out after that, I'm not doing it again. I've had that feeling. I've helped people. And I just go, I can't believe we're doing this again. But Jesus just doesn't say, hey, help, help the poor if you can fix the problem. Right? It said you're always going to have poor in the land. There's always going to be the poor. And so we can't focus on the results because we have to realize that like, the reason why there are people who are in need in this significant way, whether it's material, emotional, psychological, there's always a story. There's always a story of hurt and of difficulty and possibly dysfunction, maybe even abuse, maybe even addiction. That's always there. And so engaging in those ways of life is challenging because there isn't an easy solution. There isn't an easy fix because if a person is you know, 50, 60, 70 years old, operating under a certain way of life for this length of time, undoing that is not going to be done by saying, here's five bucks. And that's the challenge of it. But why do we, why do we care for folks? Why? Because God has cared for us, right? First Corinthians, Second Corinthians 8, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus was poor. Think about this. He was one of the most poor people in his whole community. Born in a stable. His parents sacrificed a dove, which was like the lowest thing that you could sacrifice. You were, if you were wealthy, you would sacrifice a bigger, more significant animal. But they sacrificed a dove because they didn't have enough resources to do it. He had common parents. The Bible says he didn't have anywhere to lay his head. He, didn't have, he was homeless. He only had the clothes on his back. He would be considered materially poor. And he chose that. Why? For you. He chose poverty so that you would see his riches. And so what compels us to, to give away the things that we've worked hard for, the things that we've spent time earning, I earned it, right? I made the right investment. I took the right risk. 
I worked hard. I showed up. I did that. The reason why we're able and willing joyfully to give to someone who may not have had that same attitude about their own things. The reason that we're doing that is because we're wanting to imitate and reflect the character of Jesus because he did it for us. He could have looked down on us and said, man, you guys are a mess down there. Once you get it together, then I'll help you. If I can see some results, we can work. But if not, you got to figure it out. I gave you five bucks that one time, remember? What'd you do with it? You blew it. No, <laughs> he doesn't do that. He comes in and he loves and he walks with us even in our dysfunction. Right? And the more we give, we have to give in wise ways that actually helps. I'm not saying we just hand it out everywhere. But to give in meaningful, strategic ways, whether it's to give or to lend or to partner, whatever that wise way is, the more we do that, the more we realize the sacrificial love that God has given to us. Like if you want to challenge the greed in your life, you've got to give. Because money gives us security, right? If I've got enough, I'm going to be okay. But then we can say, if we give, the security we find in our money is replaced by the security that we have in Jesus. And the pleasure that we get out of spending our own money is replaced with the pleasure of seeing someone else experience a healthy meal or a better education. The significance that we get out of money, right? Like, I have a lot. I've done well. I've, I've earned my reputation. That significance that we get. We replace that with the significance that we have in making someone's life better to encourage them to provide for themselves it's also a way for us to understand how god wants to fill us up with the good things that we're lacking right the, the relationship piece that we often need and the control that we get out of money right if i have money then i can influence people i can get my way i can buy and trade and sell right that's replaced by letting go of control and letting go of the things that control us Right? We're consumed with the stuff that we have. It's more stuff I've got to worry about. But when you have less stuff, you have less to worry about. Now Mark uh, chapter 12 says, One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that everything he was answered says, Which commandment is the most important commandment of all? Jesus said, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. That first part of what he said, hear, O Lord, that comes from Deuteronomy 6. That word is the Shema, right? The Shema is to hear. And in that culture, in that day, Shema meant not just to hear the words, but to obey and to live out this. So hear this and live this out. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus says, and love your neighbor as yourself. To live a Shema kind of life is to live your life for others. It's to say, God has given me intellect, creativity, resources, financial, relational, spiritual, to serve other people. And so God has uniquely equipped each and every one of you with faith, with blessing, with resource, and your job, your mission, if you choose to accept it, if you want to be blessed, if you want to find joy, if you want to have to let go of all the pain and the struggle and the sorrow, is to say, Lord, how am I going to use these things to bless other people? But here's the key. When you move towards someone and when you serve them, don't take credit for it by failing to tell them that it's God's love that compels you. 
Right? When you serve someone and they say thank you, you can say, you know what? I'm so grateful to God that he blessed me in this way. It's the reason why I want to give to you. Oh, why'd you come over and help me? Well, you know, God has served me. He has loved me. I've had people in my faith community serve me, and so that's why I want to serve you because God has blessed me, right? When we live this Shema lifestyle out in our, at our office, in our neighborhood, or wherever you are, then you can tell people, I'm doing this because God's uh, life is in me. You don't have to go up to him and say, look, I wanted to talk to you about something. Uh, if you died tonight, do you know where you would go? Like, that's not what we're talking about when we're saying live your life out in faith. We're saying live a Shema life, serve and love and bless people and tell them that it was God that compelled you to do it. And hey, maybe that opens a conversation. Some people will go, okay, thanks. Some of us say, well, wait, what? And then you can say, you know, God has blessed me. God has encouraged me. Let me just tell you about it. That's the transition from serving to voicing the reason why we give and the why we serve to leading people to a relationship with the God who is so gracious and generous. But if you don't tell them, if you go and serve someone and you just do it, they're going to give you the credit. Give God the credit and see how he opens a door. See how he opens a door. This is one of the main ways that God's kingdom is advancing because people are seeing that when followers of Jesus live their lives on purpose and they proclaim Jesus, then people say, I want to know about this Jesus that moves you to live in this way, to live a life of sacrifice and of service. It's like the woman named Heidi Baker. She lived in California, and she and her husband, Roland, felt compelled to to move to Mozambique, and they wanted to give their lives away. They took over this orphanage, and they just said, we want to be faithful to you, God. And they would go to different villages, and they share their faith, and they realized that when they would go and build a well in a neighborhood, or in a village that had no water where women would have to walk eight or nine miles, eight or nine miles to get clean water. Can you imagine? How many, just think, how many faucets, water delivery devices do you have in your house? You got got a sink in your kitchen, you got one in your bathroom, you have one at the washer, you have a a spigot outside, at least four. If you have more than one bathroom, you, pro- you may have, there's probably somebody in here that has 15 water delivery devices in your house. You didn't have to walk nine miles. So Heidi and her husband said, we can bring clean water. Think about the gift of life that that is. And when they brought the well and they told them why they were doing it, guess what happened? People said, I want to follow Jesus. She says, love looks like something. Love looks like something. Like Jim Schultz said, yeah, we need to send a check. We need to send money, of course. But love looks like something. It looks like somebody's showing up. When a person in your office, you can tell they've had a terrible weekend and they're hurting. And you show up and you say, tell me about it. Love looks like something. When you reach out to your neighbor who has no relationship with anyone, you just walk over and you say, I just felt compelled to come over and check on you to see how you're doing. Love looks like something. When you volunteer to serve at Colonial or when you want to go deliver food or you build a relationship with someone in a tangible way, love looks like something. And you know what it looks like? It looks like the people that I'm looking at right now. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to reflect on what God has done for you in Christ and show up and serve and say, Jesus' love compelled me and just see where it goes. You can do it. 
I've seen you do it. Keep doing it. That's what's going to bring the transformation in our world. It's not convincing people of our doctrines. And I'm all about doctrine. I just read you a Jonathan Edwards quote for crying out loud. I care about doctrine. But love looks like something. It looks like you. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.